Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Christian Mitchell, Executive Vice President and Chief Customer Officer at Northwestern Mutual. Christian joins us on the program to talk about the impact that large language models and generative AI tools will have on creating more enhanced customer experiences in financial planning and life insurance funnels by finding more ways to connect customers emotionally to their financial goals. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Christian, thank you so much for being with us on the program this week. Great to be with you. So taking it from your vantage place in terms of being the chief customer officer at Northwestern Mutual, we're seeing customer experience and customer journeys really develop in these spaces over the better part of the last decade. It's a new era now with large language models and generative AI. But just given the current state of AI adoption in financial services, especially when it comes to touching the customer, their journey within the organization. What do you see as the biggest challenges currently facing firms trying to deploy large language models in generative AI in their organizations? Well, well, first off, we have to acknowledge the obvious challenges that everyone's grappling with. Data security, hallucinations, which model to pick when they're seemingly a new, amazingly powerful model every day. But setting those aside, I really think there are two fundamental challenges that companies are facing in all industries and in financial services in particular. The first one is strategic and the other is ethical. So from a strategic perspective, the challenge is how do companies use this technology to reimagine, to transform business domains? So stated differently, you could set up an instance of a model. It might do something useful. It might provide some benefit to some part of the company. But the real power, the real value creation is when you take the possibility of generative AI, these LLMs, and use it to actually reimagine and transform a business domain. And so the, the strategic challenge is how do companies choose those domains? How do they prioritize them? And how do they actually go about the transformation to get the most out of this incredible technology? So that's challenge one. Challenge two, ethical. And when I say ethical, I'm not talking about data governance. I'm not talking about privacy. I'm not talking about adhering to regulation. All of that is table stakes. Every company needs to do that. I'm actually coming at it from a slightly higher angle in that our companies putting in place the right incentives for their people to use these technologies in a way that are beneficial for their clients and for society. And this is a place where I think Northwestern Mutual has a really interesting take on all of this. All companies are going to have to answer this question, I think, in a way that's specific to their business model. But at Northwestern Mutual, we're a mutual company. So our clients, in a real corporate governance sense, own our company. And so we will be using our clients' data to create these models, but any economic value that those models create, it's going to accrue back to those same clients. So you have this elegant incentive alignment. Now, not every company is a mutual. Everyone is going to have to wrestle with these incentives within their own business context. But I think getting that right is a challenge and it's going to be really critical for us doing this in the right way going forward. 
Absolutely. Uh, Very fascinating answers right there. I want to pull apart for a moment that very, very first part. I know that especially LLMs make these digital transformations a a lot easier. We're talking about models that can be set up in days rather than months or years, whether or not that's necessarily a good thing for the organization to use something that out of the box that quickly. And we've had round, (laughs) round advice from a lot of our respondents that say, even if these are out of the box, you, you don't want to implement these things overnight. They take care and they take thought and they take planning. But you use the term domains in terms of how LLMs are going to and generative AI are going to change these organizations. I just want to be a little bit clear about what that means in terms of does that mean, you know, different lines of business or do we mean domains in terms of how the customer is experiencing the knowledge base of the organization through the call center, would the call center be a domain versus walking into the store? Absolutely. When I say domain, I'm using it relatively loosely to convey a strategic component of a Mm. company. And I'll give you an example from Northwestern Mutual. So we're a life insurance company, among other things. We underwrite risk. Mm. Traditionally, risk has been underwritten point in time based on actuarial tables you know, and then you, the company has to live with that that underwriting decision over the life of the contract, 20, 30, 40 years. So as AI comes into the underwriting space, and I'm going to use AI broadly, not just yep. kind of generative AI, LLMs, it's going to do two things. AI is going to help people live longer. You know, the innovation that's going to be unlocked there, I think, is is poised to fundamentally change mortality. So that side of the equation changes. The way we actually underwrite is changing. And, and many companies such as Northwestern Mutual have already implemented quite a bit of AI and ML to change that underwriting process. So you bring those two things together and you could imagine a future where we move from point in time underwriting to continuous health and wellness coaching and interaction between a quote-unquote life insurance company and the client. So you have to reimagine the texture of that relationship and how it creates value and the long-term intimacy that comes from this coaching health wellness relationship versus the one-time transaction of an underwriting decision. So when I talk about transforming a business domain, it's I'm thinking about things like that. Right, right, right. And that that I think puts a much finer point on it. Also, something we haven't heard yet in the insurance space is just the implications of, you know, where this will roll over from healthcare in terms of people living longer. I think that that doesn't get talked about enough. But just in terms of your approach to the ethics that that you gave in the first answer, I also think that's very interesting. We had Scott Zoldi, chief analytics officer at FICO on the show not too long ago. We were talking about the report from his organization on the responsible use of AI. Conversations I've had in this area since always seem extremely top down in that, you know, management needs to abide by the golden rule, especially when it comes to privacy. Do they want their data handled in the way that their organization is handling? Would they want their information handled by their bank in the same way? You know, all due respect to that mentality, I think there's a lot more people involved. And I think what, what you're saying in terms of the incentives, especially from the people on the ground, the subject matter experts that are going to be handling this data, they need to be rightly aligned, at least to the goals. I'm wondering in terms of AI adoptions and building these systems, 
How are you talking to your employees, to the subject matter experts, to the call center agents, the folks who are going to be handling this, the folks who are going to be working with coal pilots or AI assistants in order to help customers on their journeys? How are you laying that groundwork in terms of those incentives in order to ensure that all boats are pointed in the same direction in terms of the ethical use of AI here? Yeah, it's a great question. So we start all of those conversations with a reminder as to why our company exists and this elegant incentive alignment around mutuality. We exist to make people better off financially. We have a profit motive, but we also have a larger social role to play in the United States. And then we remind them of this incentive alignment. So all of the conversations are grounded in that. So as we talk about you know, what we could do technically, or we talk about what the implementation might be in service ops or a coding co-pilot. We're trying to help everyone understand kind of the unbroken chain of why from that specific implementation to why we exist as a company and how our incentives are set up in the right way. Absolutely. Now, there's been a lot of talk about large language models and generative AI. We've done a couple of episodes in financial services, nothing terribly specific to the life insurance or financial planning space. You just mentioned a moment ago that, you know, the larger implications of AI just mean that people are going to live longer. That trickles over from healthcare to financial services for life insurance and beyond. I'm wondering, how are we seeing LLMs and generative AI being deployed to create more enhanced customer experiences in financial planning in life insurance? We haven't seen to date much implementation of, of LLMs or, a, or Gen AI that's client-facing in production right now. Right. I think for many of the reasons that we've all you know, experienced as we played around with these tools are themselves, they can hallucinate, they give strange answers in addition to being incredibly powerful. So I haven't seen a lot in production yet, but what I can give you is a sense of something that I'm pretty excited about. It's a medium slash long-term implementation of, of generative AI as it pertains to financial planning. So if you think about financial services, life insurance, investments, et cetera, it's largely a game of deferred gratification. We want you, client, to make certain decisions today, save more, contribute more to your 401k or Roth, et cetera. It entails some short-term pain, but if you do that, you're going to have a great future. You'll be able to send your kids to school. You'll be able to retire comfortably, et cetera. That said, it can be difficult for clients to make those decisions because because it's inherently difficult for them to visualize that future that they presumably would enjoy. So imagine that you're meeting with your advisor in the metaverse, you know, in a virtual world, and you're having a financial planning conversation. You're talking about your hopes and dreams. And there is a generative AI that's listening in on that conversation. And as you're talking about what you want to do, it is on the fly creating images immersive video of that future. So if you're talking, if you're saying, you're telling your financial advisor, hey, I would really like to send all of my kids to college without any of them incurring any student loan debt. You could be in that virtual world at that graduation ceremony with avatars of your kids graduating without that financial burden. Or, you know, you let's say you're a little bit more affluent and your goal is to have a lake house. You know, we could that again, that same situation, you could imagine you're, you could see yourself in that lake house looking out on the beach or, you know, boats or whatever. So you take that benefit 
that lifestyle benefit that can seem so far for clients and you use generative AI to make it feel very immediate and thereby bolster these individuals' ability to make these tough decisions, to make these tough trade-offs today about their finances in a way that is genuinely going to set them up to be better off down the road. So I think kind of shrinking this deferred gratification gap for a period of time using generative AI to do that, it's really, really exciting. And I think it have profound societal benefit. Really blown away by your answer for a couple of reasons, not least of which is that I'm 36 years old, I'll date myself. I'm just entering into financial planning for the first time in my life. I don't think you need anybody to tell you that people my age are coming to this super late. And we, yeah, I mean, especially people exactly my age have, you know, deep emotional hangups about, you know, being able to afford a house, being able to envision, you know, being able to envision paying for college for their kids. So I'm really, really intrigued by this vision of the future where we're using Gen AI to go kind of straight for the emotional jugular, like nothing you mentioned in your last answer. We can, and, and I'm sure there are these components elsewhere, but just as the foremost vision is being able to connect the client emotion to the data you're going to be able to present in terms of, you know, how they're going to afford the kids going to college by embedding it into, you know, the virtual reality experience of seeing the kid graduate. That That's really intriguing. All at the same time, I'm wondering what the conversations are like for management in terms of like looking into that future. I wouldn't immediately connect using technology to bring out like the emotions of the customer. Where does the rubber hit the road in terms of ROI and winning executive buy-in for that vision going forward in terms of AI projects for FinServe, especially in the generative space? Yeah, happy to talk about executive buy-in. It's something I spend a lot of uh, my waking hours engaging in. But right. I just, to kind of close out your, your conversation on the emotionality of finance, like that's what it is ultimately. Like financial security is highly emotional. Yeah. Financial services companies love to nerd out on the math. And the math is important, but this is ultimately about meeting people where they are emotionally and helping them make better decisions. Right. So executive buy-in, uh, this is a dance I'm doing every day. I kept myself very, very fortunate to have a CEO who's very supportive of this. Our board is very supportive of, of, of everything that we're doing and really accelerating experimentation in, in Gen AI and AI more broadly. You know, that said, I don't want, I can't take that for granted. We have to continue to work at it. So some of the tools that we've been deploying, I've been trying to drive some forward-looking, really provocative conversations with the C-suite, with my peers. So we had an hour-long conversation with Ajay Agarwal, really you know thoughtful guy, brings a real economic lens to where Gen AI is going to take us. That was a fabulous conversation. So that's one. Secondly, just helping all my colleagues and everyone in the organization use these tools. So we have a compliance secure instance of chat GPT that is stood up within our organization. It's in a secure Azure environment. Anybody at Northwestern Mutual can use it, play around with it, get to know it. That's a place where we're taking a different stance relative to some other companies who've just completely shut that down, don't want employees using it at all. Another approach is I really try to generate enthusiasm for these technologies amongst the direct reports of my peers. Mm. 
Because often if the direct reports of my peers are projecting their enthusiasm on their boss, it helps drive this momentum. So we have an AI council that brings together key senior leaders across the company to dig into these technologies, to talk about prioritization. I think that's generated quite a bit of excitement at the kind of senior level leader. And then with the employee base more broadly, we, we just talk about this a lot, get them excited. We're going to be doing a generative AI hackathon here at Northwestern Mutual in the fall to just generate yet broader organizational excitement about where we're where we're headed. So that's all we're, that's, i give you a sampling of everything sure. that we're doing. I think it's important to note though, as we're generating this excitement and enthusiasm, we have to calibrate that correctly because as i've noted a few different times like these technologies do weird things sometimes the hype gets well ahead of where it is today or maybe how we know exactly how to implement it so at all of those levels with all those different audiences i think it's important to lean into where this could take us but also be really very realistic and clear-eyed about where it is right now where it works and where it's maybe not ready to be in production Yeah. And I I think that's a perfect segue to talk about humans in the loop. And it sounds like, you know, from everything you're saying at Northwestern Mutual, there's a very strong sense of a data based culture and you've got the infrastructure built in. So those conversations with management about or, you know, winning executive buy in for AI projects, I mean, they have to be a lot easier or at least you don't have to go about navigating, you know, say this before this or lead in the right way because, you know, management is educated on these fronts and as is the employee base. But just diving into that for a second, because, you know, generative AI and LLMs in the use cases, it seems like, you know, before it gets to the customer in the form of, you know, VR projections of their future, it's going to be in the hands of call center agents, it's going to be in the hands of the rank and file at Northwestern Mutual, helping customers, you know, build quality experiences. Just in terms of the near future, before we get to, before we get to, you know, way down the line and we're, and we're showing people, you know, what their kids graduation looks like, knowing that we're going to need human beings, you know, on the front lines to ensure the integrity of these systems. What do you see as the future role of humans in the loop for FinServe workflows that are supported uh, by generative AI capabilities? Yeah, yeah. A timely question. So I'll give you two views on it. One is more of what we would call at Northwestern Mutual, like a home office view. So service ops, technology and the other is more client facing as it pertains to our financial advisors. So, you know, internally, as you would imagine, we have a big service ops group. We've got lots of developers that are in, in my organization. The role they are going to play increasingly is these master orchestrators of these tools. So we'll have like, I can imagine a future where we have multiple models in the environment. They're doing different things, whether it's customer service or coding, et cetera, you're going to have these master orchestrators that are going to be using these models, prompting these models to do all of the stuff that we need to do. The humans that do this, they're going to be super productive. So likely be able to handle a volume of coding or service calls, et cetera, well in excess of what our folks can do today. The natural following question there is, well, will does that mean there'll be jobs eliminated? There likely will be jobs eliminated, but I think the other side of that coin, and this is something I feel really passionately about, 
is that AI is going to lower the barriers to innovation. And as that innovation occurs, it's going to create new jobs, new places where humans need to plug in and make sure that the technology is doing what we want it to do. What exactly those jobs are, I don't necessarily know Mm. right now, but I feel really strongly that though there will be some dislocation in the labor force, it's going to create all kinds of new opportunities as well. So I think there's this this human orchestrator, massive productivity story as it pertains to the home office. As I look at our field force, our financial advisors, there's a similar productivity story where these models are going to allow advisors to do a lot more, you know, run much more efficient practices. But I think here we're going to see something that might be a little bit counterintuitive to folks. We're going to quickly reach a point where the world is so awash in AI generated content, yeah. you know, video, whatever, email messages, et cetera, it's actually going to make the human interaction more valuable. You know, if you're having one of those emotional conversations about your future, your family, like having that to be kind of a little bit funny about it, like that cheeky, you know, kind of like artisanal, grass fed human interaction with someone that's going to be super, super valuable. So our advisors are going to be very, very productive. But what they do best today, I think, is the same thing they're going to be doing in the future with all of these tools. It's this like fundamental, deep connection with our clients to make them better off. And that those interaction points, I think they become even more valuable and powerful in the future. Absolutely. And, and just to put a, even a little nuance on your response right here, I know something that's a bit deceiving, especially for large language models and generative AI, is that these mean overall less jobs or that there's less human beings involved. And when you learn more about how, you know, especially the foundational models are developed, that's not true in terms of you need almost like as many, if not even more humans to provide constant feedback and correct the system. And yes, eventually as it gets better, you know, those corrections aren't as needed, but that job never ends in terms of maintaining the model and maintaining its integrity. And when that job never ends, that also means there's also a, you know, a constant job security, at least for humans in maintaining those models. Just the other thing that I, that I really appreciated from your last answer is talking about how, humans in the loop themselves, you know, and this kind of artisanal experience of humanity all at the same time. You know, I talked to folks in the debt collection space there. They find it uncanny that at least AI tools have a better sense of maybe not how to be empathetic, but when to be empathetic. And you can imagine in in debt collection, like there's a lot of emotional charge there and your bedside manner is everything. And also hand in hand, that goes with timing. So I, I think it'll get blurred, but I, I do think you're right. I mean, I say this as a musician, you see the the instruments behind me. You know, we we already talk about it, it just amongst you know, my circle of, of musician friends of we see more and more people doing online performances. And then when we go, see a show in person we call it ah ah yes uh, organic music or or organic performance yes yes but no gmos delicious enjoyed every <laughs> bit of it so yeah i do and maybe that'll be an uncanny valley maybe that's a little bit more short term than long term but yeah i do think in the near term future that there's going to be a higher proxy on folks looking you in the eye meeting you in person talking about you directly in ways to your life that that just llms can't but a very fascinating conversation i'll say that much Christian, thank you so much for being with us on the program this week. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation.
You know, in wrapping up today's episode, I think it's worth putting another note on what Adam was talking about just in terms of those visualizations and making financial goals really hit the heartstrings, you know, talking about affording college and then showing folks perhaps an AI generated set of images or a video depicting their child's graduation. I know that can seem a little emotionally exploited, but but let me just put a point on this in terms of somebody who's 36 years old and, and just got a financial planner, started out broken on a $26,000 job at a independent radio station playing independent music around 10, 12 years ago in New York City. I really never thought in a million years I'd be in a place to afford a home, and here I am. I don't know what that visualization might have meant to me 12 years ago if I was in a financial meeting, even despite my meager finances at that time, and somebody was trying to make the case with data that if I just hedge my bets in certain directions or maybe make some smarter career choices, which ended up being the case, that I would be on the path to owning a home. And maybe if I had those emotional visualizations, I might have made some more sound financial decisions in the meantime or made some smarter career decisions. But I think just by token of you listening to me right now, at least the latter happened. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. 